Welcome back to another episode of Layman Learn Torah. I believe this is episode 14. I'm Celia. I'm Joy. Welcome back. Welcome back. Um, I wanted to say a couple of things about last week's episode. Okay. Did Stephanie send you... No. Okay. Oh, I for... I didn't forward it to you because I assumed that she... Meanwhile, I was thinking you. that Stephanie wasn't listening anymore no, and she, sending us voice. She sent it like an hour after we uploaded it. She's our That best. Friday. She's... <laughs> You're the best, Stephanie. So she had a couple of things to say about last week's episode. One was that there is like this huge debate about um, whether his, uh, Yosef's brothers sold him or not. And then she showed me this really awesome commentary by Rav Liebtag, somebody that I think she quotes a lot. Okay. I read through the article and it, it was fascinating. It basically said something along the lines of how could the Torah say that, you know, how, how could there be no account of Yosef being sold directly by his brothers? And then later he says, like, I forgive you for selling me. Oh, I forgot. That's what it says later. Yeah. That's later when that. he reveals himself to his brothers. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, and then Rav Lipta comes to the conclusion that, Yosef didn't know any better. Like, imagine he's stuck in this pit. His brothers are like far away eating somewhere. Oh. Some medianim come, pull him out of the pit. And what is he thinking? He's yeah. like, oh, my brothers definitely did this to me. At the like, very least, they sent those Medanites or Ishmaelim or whatever. They he, they sent them to him. Yes, to, oh, to retrieve them. That was fascinating. I did speak to her brother, Rav Natan, <laughs> yesterday while picking up my daughter from Chidon. And he's in very vehement disagreement. Really? He's like, he's that like, would happen, though. It's common knowledge. They sold him. But they didn't sell him. So he's like, he's like, it says it here. I'm like, yeah, but that's Yosef's point of view. He's like, well, why would he say it if it wasn't? There are a lot of strong opinions about this. Very other... strong text traditionalists yes. really dislike when people upset their idea. But like, we're just reading Traditional understanding is, yeah. So he said something like... You know, you're you're reading it very on the surface. But here's my problem, right? Because then I asked about Midyanim, Medanim, and Yishmaelim. And yeah. then Rav Natan said, like, they're used very interchangeably in the text. Later on, I, I, I forgot where he quoted, but it uses them, like, one and the other. And even at the end of this, uh, or in the beginning of this pedic, it says something about, like... Vayiknehu Potifar Sadis Paro, the captain of the guard of Paro, bought him Miyat Yishmaelim mm-hmm. from the Yishmaelim. Yeah. So, like, you know, a lot of people say that um, they were just all part of the same tribe. Like, kind of like what we said. They were all brothers. They were all the the sons of Abraham through concubines. But my problem with that is, like... If we put so much weight on what the Torah says otherwise, like the use of Israel versus Yaakov, yeah. or or the use of Hashem's name in different ways, why why not give that same weight to the minor characters in the Torah? Like, I don't know, I feel like it's a little bit of a cop-out to say they're all the same person, it's, it no one's trying like to figure it out. People might be picking and choosing <clears throat> what method where, yes. to interpret to use to interpret in which situations. Yeah. So 
I mean, but by I, the way, I, that's what I wrote. I said when it, we opened up Perek Lametet, I circled. They bought him from the Ishmaelites, and I said, "Are they Medanites? Like, I they must be part of the same family." I was confused. Right. So what you know what Rav Natan made sen- said made sense. Like Ishmael, Midian, and Medan were all sons of concubines. So the Torah just kind of lumped them all in the same place okay. because it's like the only son that mattered was Yitzchak, and everyone else were just gonna. <laughs> shove into the same group. Unwanted. Yeah. So I thought those were really interesting takes on last week's mm-hmm. um, episode. Awesome. And now we move on from Yehuda and Tamar and we come back to Yosef. And it begins with meanwhile again. I don't know what you have in your English translation. I know in the in the Hebrew it just says Vayosef Horad. So Yosef went down. But um, oh, that's funny. But it, mine says meanwhile, and <laughs> like, and it's not the first time this text uses meanwhile again, almost as if all these things are happening within the same timeline, which I do believe they are, because if you think back to the story of Yehuda, he gets married, has three children. Those three children grow up old enough to have children of their own. So this is over maybe thirty years or so, right. and. There has to be something happening with Yosef at this time, however long it played out. Um, What I'm wondering is if in a little while we're going to get a sense of what Yehuda was doing during this whole um, selling period or when he was in Egypt. Like, was that when he was with Tamar? Those things are happening concurrently. I know. Um, uh, This timeline seems a little muddy to me. Like, I'm not really clear on what's happening. I'm sure there are some commentaries around when Yehuda's thing took place. Yeah. Um, I think the reason that your text would have the meanwhile there is because the Pasuk starts with a ve, like ve Yosef Hurad. Mm -hmm. You know, otherwise it would have just started with like the usual Torah language of like Vayurad Hosef Mitraima. Yeah. Um, But that ve was like, and... Yeah. You know, in the meantime, this Yosef is also happening. was... Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, but again, you know, later we'll explore the Yehuda thing because, I don't know, I feel like there's not enough context here to figure yeah, out. Yeah, we'll like, find the, the context. Hell. Yeah, we'll, when we'll Yehuda's dig it mentioned up. again, it'll it'll happen. Okay. All right, great. So, Lamentet begins, we have Yosef has been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar buys him from the Ishmaelim. Who had brought him there? So it's very clear that when he was sold to the Ishmaelim, he's then brought down to Mitzrayim. Um, and he is purchased by Potiphar. Yes, Potiphar is the captain of the guard. He's a very important, uh, he's in a very important position there in Egypt. Um, so like we said last time, that must mean that Yosef really made an impression on the caravan that he was traveling with because, mm-hmm. you know... He got he got some good ownership there. Yeah, we also get validation here that he's handsome and strong. So maybe that's also working in his yeah. favor when we later on with Potiphar's wife. But we'll get there. Um, so now he is sold to a very high up there, you know, in the ranks person in uh, in Egypt. And it says the Lord was with Yosef. That's what my English says. And I thought that that was so nice because. It just made me feel like this idea that we have that, yeah, you're alone, but God is always with you. Like, no Jew is ever really alone. 
And so he might feel alone and stranded, but with his like faith, basically, he's able to feel. Yeah, and I think Yosef was well aware of it because later on, we'll see when he's interpreting the dreams of the Saramashkim and Saraofim, he says, like, you know, Hashem is going to help me interpret these dreams for you. Mm -hmm. He's well aware that Hashem is there helping him helping him find favor in everyone's eyes, helping the house that he's working for prosper. I don't think it would have mentioned that if Yosef wasn't recognizing Hashem's presence there in some way. Yeah, I agree. Um, what's also notable is that in Pasu Gimel, it's not just that Hashem is with Yosef all the way, but that Potiphar's, uh, Potiphar, his master, who, remember, is Egyptian, mm-hmm. also uh, realizes that Hashem is with Yosef. Um, this strikes me as very familiar with um, Yaakov and Lavan. Oh yeah, because yeah, yeah, Yaakov yeah. is working in Lavan's house, and Lavan is noticing that everything that Yaakov is doing is blessed it's by prosperous. Hashem, and every like so he kind of keeps him there almost as a captive. I was gonna say that I remember the same with Avimelech. I forgot if it was Abraham or Yitzchak, but you gotta they, take me back. They Avimelech says something to his people along the lines of, "Oh, it's okay mm-hmm. that these people are among us. Let's make them feel comfortable because they wherever they go, pro- yeah, yeah, they they bring riches to wherever they go, and you know this is gonna work in our favor." So yeah, he's definitely being used, but I mean he's a slave, so it's definitely gonna be working in his favor. Yes, um, I just thought it was interesting because like. Maybe Potiphar is not saying the God of the Israelites is with this guy, but he's saying like there is some mm-hmm. like divine metaphysical thing going on here because this kid is not normal. Yeah. And he's immediately um, promoted. Immediately. <laughs> and there are like four Pesukim talking about how promoted he is. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's in charge of his household and he has responsibility. And then from the second he gets put in charge of his household, um, he continues to be blessed. And now the the Egyptian becomes blessed because of Yosef. So it's very clear that, that Potiphar is being blessed as well. Uh, and, and he, to the extent where he no longer had to really worry about anything. Anything. It, it, it says, it says like he did not have to. He wasn't even involved. Thing except for in Pasuk Vav, Vayazov kol asher lo biyad Yosef. He left everything in the hands of Yosef. Velo yada itomeuma. He didn't know a thing that he was doing. That's like when you become a right hand person and mm-hmm. the boss is just like, I trust lunch. whatever you're yeah. doing. Have fun. Ki im halechem asher hu ochel, except the food that he was eating. Are you are you smirking because you have the same comment that I have here? Because the euphemism. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know. I was like, oh, am I going to go there? Am I going to? Yeah. Okay. I, I think it's, I think. I yeah, know. I mean, cause, I, cause I've never read this I, before. But I'm going to say, like, I'll, I'll bring it up later, but I feel like it's a reinforced later that the Lechem that it's talking about is Potiphar's wife. Mm-hmm. Like, Yosef was in charge of everything, uh, except. The food that he the, ate. The wife. Yeah. It says, quote unquote, the food that Potiphar ate. Mm-hmm. And then I have possibly a euphemism for his wife. Yes. I have like some more innocent 
comments here. Mine's yeah, wild. Like, I feel like my This my is because the Egyptians considered food by foreigners to be contaminated, indicating that Yosef was g- given a special diet better than other slaves, or a euphemism for intimacy with his wife. I'm like, that is the most superior interpretation. <laughs> Why are we even bothering with the other one? By the way, the Torah throws it down. I... This is... It's... It's... It's awesome. <laughs> Who makes this joke I thousands of years ago? I know. Oh, my God. Okay. We see you, Tana. <laughs> we see what you're doing there. You're trying to entice the young readers. Uh, I love that. Okay. But... Um, however, okay. Potiphar's wife is not having this. Or she wants more. She wants more. She casts her eyes on Yosef. Mm-hmm. Sleep with me, she said. Mm -hmm. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. She just wants to sleep with this slave. And Yosef refuses. So so here's where I think that 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 pasuk was actually a euphemism because Yosef actually says... Everything that is in this house, my master has given in my hands... Except he did not he didn't keep a thing from me except his wife. Yeah. So I I'm like okay it's just reinforcing yeah, what I said before. And ha, how ha, ha. am I going to do this terrible thing? And then he adds because I think as we know um, one of the sheva mitzvot um, Noah, like the the universal laws. Is yeah. not to sleep with another man's forbidden, yeah, wife. another man's wife, and he's like, "This is a sin in every sense of the word." I love that you're saying that. that and reminding me because one of my notes here is he's speaking about singular God. Like, what does Potiphar care that this is a sin <laughs> right. against God? Like, what does she even know about him? But now you're reminding me that from the times of Noah, this would be considered just like a. The wrong yeah. thing to do. Yeah, I think it also speaks to the Egyptian culture, which obviously we know degrades by the time of Shemot as well. Um, that they're not really following these laws. Yeah, they're they're not even following the seven Noahide laws. So um, it just you know speaks to the character and the quality of the people there. Yeah. However, I saw something interesting. I wonder if we want to just take a pause and give Potiphar maybe a little bit of credit and then I give Potiphar a lot of credit. Oh, do you? Yes. Okay, fine. So, but think... more specifically with his wife, um oh, how No, not <laughs> not that she is redeemable in any way, but it's more in the sense of it says um that he has entrusted me with all that he owns. And the fact that Yosef was talking about ownership, I found interesting because if he doesn't have ownership of Potiphar's wife, it means it's not some Potiphar's wife is not something Potiphar owns. owns yeah. Which means she was probably doing whatever she wants. Yeah. Um, she's I was, the mistress of her household. She, she's the mistress of her household, but she also has her own autonomy aside from Potiphar, which is probably why she feels so emboldened to, to make up send servants thing. out, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. go to his master of the household and kind of do whatever she wants. And then, you know, later on makes up this whole story. So um, I thought, I don't know, a moment for women. <laughs> sure. <laughs> autonomy here. <laughs> also the way in which that she's like, you know, go coming on to. And then uh, I also found interesting is that 
she so she sends the, she sends everyone out. Uh, one day Yosef comes into the house to do his work and he sees that no servants are there. And she catches him by his cloak and she's like, you know, lie with me, sleep with me. And he ran away from her and he fled outside. And I thought leaving the cloak in her leaving the cloak. But what I thought was what I thought was cool here is, again, a nod to how this was written so long ago. The acknowledgement of sexual assault against men. Yes. Which is so rarely spoken about because we usually talk about sexual assault. To women because it's more common Mm. but also this idea that way back when there is sexual assault against men and you know you need to be mindful of that as well which i thought was very forward and modern as well yeah she was some cougar (laughs) god yeah so she goes after him i didn't think about the fact that she was a cougar yeah she is older than him i would assume she's like a teenager no (laughs) this book is crazy (laughs) Oh my god. Okay. So she calls her servants immediately after he runs away. And she says, See, he, probably meaning Potiphar, brought us a Hebrew man to play games with us. He, you know, he brought a Hebrew man to like make a joke out of our household. Um, I took a note of that because I'm like, I don't know, especially in these times, okay. the, the whole idea of like false accusations against Jews. She makes sure to point out that he's a Ivri, he's a Hebrew man, like that. It would probably be believed faster. Right, right. She knows that her words will hold more credibility because she's pointing out this foreigner among them, mm-hmm. no matter how high his status is among the household. Yeah. And she, um, she definitely, she pluralizes it by saying he came here to mock us. Yes. Like this is all of our problems. Yeah. <laughs> He's um, also causing offense to you guys. Which is so disturbing. Um, he yeah, because came... now they're turning servant against servant because he was in charge of them. But now she's saying, look, he's mocking all of us. Yeah. Like this Hebrew man was placed to be above you. Mm -hmm. Like, are you going to stand for that? Mm -hmm. I feel like we're reading a lot into it, but I know I think it's here. Yeah, I think it's here. He he called she called out to her servants and said to them, he brought us a Hebrew to mock us. He came to lie with me, but I screamed. I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me call for help, he ran outside and I was like. This is a disservice to the Me Too movement. <laughs> Damn it, Potiphar's wife. But then what's interesting is Potiphar comes, she calls for Potiphar and he comes in the house and then she changes her tune. And she said, the Hebrew slave you brought to us came to me to mock me. So it's possible Potiphar would not would not have cared maybe if he was mocking the other uh, slaves. But now she's saying he's mocking me. me. So she changes from from the plural to the singular, depending on who she's speaking to. You know what came to my mind? So so I know that the next pasuk says that when her husband heard the story, he became furious. Right? He flared his nose. Um, All I'm thinking about is, did you ever watch Sex in the City 2? Yes. Okay. So there's a whole thing about how Samantha's trying to convince Charlotte that Harry's going to cheat on her with their really hot nanny. Yes. And then and then she at the end of the movie she admits she's like I wasn't even worried about Harry cheating on her. I was worried about like how am I going to ever find a nanny that's as good as her? <laughs> and that's what made me think like I'm imagining Putsifar being like, "Uh, 
oh, right. I have to find another guy to replace Yosef, but he's so good. Oh, so like, yours? So he wasn't actually incensed that that happened to his wife. You know why? Probably because that happens a lot. Okay, because I was gonna say he was yeah. put in a dungeon in Potiphar's house. Yeah. Like in the same dungeon that the servants of Pado are placed in. Yeah, that's how not, I was gonna say that's not such a punishment. That's not true. I didn't right? mean that. Right? Like I don't know how dungeony these dungeons are, but He you calls know, it a pit later. Right. He does but, say I'm in the get me out of this pit. But I, I agree with you. He is placed somewhere somewhat special. And I it's interesting to now say he was incensed. I wonder if he's incensed at his wife. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't specify. I, I didn't know. think about that. Um, only, <laughs> only because Motifar loved Yosef so much. It's yeah, just like, his life was so easy. I know he didn't have to care about a single thing. Um, good point. So now he has him arrested. He's like, I mean, I guess he had no choice. Even if he didn't believe, he's yeah, like, okay, she this, made it public. Yeah. She did it in front of the servants. In front of the servants, yes. And so he placed him in the dungeon where the king's prisoners were kept. Um. I feel like there's a distinction between the king's prisoners and, like, a normal dungeon. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but even here in the dungeons, Hashem was with Yosef. Vayhi Hashem et Yosef kasuk chafalef. Vayet elav chaset vayiten chino b'ene sar bet hasohar. He, like, yeah. the warden loved him. I feel like that was Hashem showing kindness. I feel like here is an interesting opportunity to think about uh, one's own autonomy. So... If Hashem is showing, if, if Hashem is, you know, being involved in Yosef's life, Yosef is naturally very likable. I feel like that's a credit to Yosef himself, where Hashem's intervention here maybe is what Yosef does not have control over, which is how people perceive yeah. him. And so Yosef is doing everything that he can to make this a positive experience for him or make it, you know, somewhat mm -hmm. safe for him. And God getting involved is really you know, making sure that the people that are keeping him captive are the ones that now look favorably on him. So it's this interesting intervention of when you have control versus how is Hashem getting involved. Right. And we know with our hindsight vision that uh, Yosef is meant to be in the dungeon. He's meant to meet the two prisoners that he meets in a couple of Kisukim. He, and so Hashem's that's, that's like that's the same argument because, that we were saying last episode of he was meant to to find, find her brothers. brothers. Yeah, and and Hashem's I I guess the message here is like just because he has to be in a dungeon in order for the story to move along, it doesn't mean he has to be miserable, especially if he is you know, this kind, responsible person who constantly brings up the name of Hashem in his dealings with people. Um, Hashem's like, you know, you have to be here. This is your fate, but yeah. we'll make it as okay as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and so the warden goes by way of Potiphar and just puts Yosef in charge of everything. Yeah, which is, again, a pattern like Lavan puts him in charge of everything, Potiphar puts him in charge of everything. And it speaks to this idea of like this poor guy was having these dreams from when he was little, like people are gonna bow down to me, like people are gonna put me in charge. Yeah. And it's like, oh, interesting. You know what I mean? It's it okay, fine, like his family will bow down to him and that does end up happening, but just the like he can't seem to escape this leadership position. 
okay. which is which is basically thrust upon him every single time. Maybe because he was destined for it, maybe through the acts of his own behavior, maybe because Hashem is getting involved. But it seems like these patterns keep repeating them. And, you know, like Yaakov sends him to check on his brothers. Like he didn't ask for that, but he keeps being placed in these positions in yeah. where he's in charge of people. And I, I think you wouldn't do that unless you found the person to be of leadership quality. Yes. Yeah, maybe Yaakov saw something that we didn't see. When I we mean, were questioning sure. his parenting <laughs> skills. Um, and the same language is used with Potiphar. In Sad Beta Sohardro et Kolamioma, he did not do a thing. He didn't mm-hmm. have to look after a thing because Yosef took after it. Mm-hmm. And then we move on to Perek Mem, um, where Yosef meets two other prisoners in the Pharaoh's prison. Mm-hmm. Um, so he meets the wine steward, Sara Mashkim, and the baker, Sar Ha'ofim. Um, it says that Chatu Melech Mitraim, they somehow sinned against the king of Egypt. It doesn't mm-hmm. specify what their sin was. This I very distinctly remembering remember learning the was I must have been Rashi of like how one rolled a pebble into the dough. Oh, yeah. And then and the then other, the one, other was one a fly. A fly went into the wine. Yeah. Do you remember that? I do remember that. It's not here. It's <laughs> it's not here at all. And I feel like the rolling the pebble is a lot more effort, so that's why Sarha Ofi was chosen yeah, that's to what die. We, yeah, that's what that's what we learned in school, right? And it's not here. Very interesting. Uh, it's just the idea that they're both in prison because the king will do whatever he wants, whatever he wants. He just yeah threw them both in prison. Um, so he's in the same dungeon that Yosef was imprisoned, and it says specifically. He's in the home of the captain of the guard. So Potiphar, as captain of the guard, has some sort of prison in his home. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yosef was assigned to look after these two. And then the motif of dreams comes back. Um, Yosef comes to them in the morning and he sees that both of them are distressed. Although, I don't know, they don't seem, one doesn't seem worse than the other. I mean, one does seem worse than the other, so I don't know why they were both distressed. In in Pasuk Hey, it actually says each dream seemed to have a special meaning. The Hebrew is... Um, it's, it literally says, like, each man dreamt the dream according to its own interpretation. Um, and my, my uh, interpretation so then, says something like, the dream had a special meaning, or it, it, I felt like it was the sort of thing where, where like, you wake up and you're you're saying to yourself that dream meant something like that couldn't just be all your teeth fell out jack has those all the time Do i used to have, have i used to have them a lot not a lot i used to have them they're terrifying yeah jack that like you wake up I'll and you're know like that he had a tooth dream <laughs> 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 by the way there was one time i'm sorry mom my sister and i were going to great adventure that day and while i was brushing my teeth i mentioned that i had a dream 
that my teeth fell out. They get very mad. My mom did yeah. not let us go to Six Flags that day. Oh my god. She's like, it's a bad sign. You call your aunt. She interprets interprets dreams and she calls my aunt on the spot. Like, what does it mean when your teeth fall out in a dream? See? <laughs> it, I'm like, Ma, I don't believe you what she You couldn't go to Great says. Adventure? You couldn't go to Six Flags. That's so we're sad. going to fall off a roller coaster or something. I don't know. I, anyway, I also, I told either my mom or my grandma when I was younger and they were not happy about it. Yeah. Like, don't tell anyone about it. I'm like, what? So anyways, they, they had these meaningful dreams. Um, and but, yeah, but what's, what's weird is that they, the text is saying that they had meaningful dreams, but their first response is, Oh, woe is me. There's no one here to interpret my dream. <laughs> but like, didn't you just say that it already meant something to you? Um, I'm wondering if there's like a more official. Well, maybe they just were way. like, I feel dumb. I don't know how to how to interpret this. Okay. I just know that it means something. So Yosef goes and he's like, hey, why do you guys look so out of it today? And they're like, well, we just had, had dreams and there's no one here to interpret them. And Yosef replies, I, I, I don't love this. How, well, I don't how love is this. yours? Yeah. Mine says, interpretation belongs to God, Mine period. Says, Tell me your dreams. Like, what? Interpretations are God's business. Did he already consider himself like a Navi? It says, Halal Elohim Pitronim. Like, interpretations are gods. Sapru Nali. Yeah, I think he's saying, like, I'll interpret it, but I'm channeling God. my God through. through so this. they must be looking for some Egyptian deity to help interpret okay, a yeah. magician. And, he's and then like, he's if like. You want, Interpretation belongs to God, and then my that is my God, and I yeah. will help you. I've been known okay. to have dreams, you know. <laughs> um, so Saramashkim says his dream there was a grapevine that had three branches. Um, it blossoms in front of his eyes, ripens into grapes. He squeezes them, puts them in Pharaoh's cup, and hands Pharaoh the cup. Mm-hmm. Um, Yosef's like, oh. So three branches are three days. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I love the language, the play on words here in the okay? Ivrit with the with the Yisa it. Okay, it. Okay, so it says, "Paro will lift your head." Right in mm-hmm. Pasuk thirteen, Yisa Paro et Roshecha. So I read on the bottom that that's like um, a euphemism for. Uh, he'll give you special consideration or he'll single you out, right? Yisa et Roshecha. What I love is that later, when he's giving the interpretation to Sarha Ofim, oh, yeah, <laughs> it says this is in 19, right? We'll go over his dream in a sec. I just want to get back to the language in Pasuk 19. He says, Yisa paro et Roshecha, he will single you out, but there's another word there, me'alecha. He will lift your head off of your shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so funny that, he, I don't know. Yeah. Joseph took this opportunity to be like. He's a wordsmith. Yeah. He's going to raise your head the- off your shoulders. <laughs> Literally. So he was like. <laughs> By the way, it's I, something that I wrote here is that there's total silence. Yes. There's no, like, after the first dream is interpreted, he said he's going to lift you up and then you're going to be his uh, cupbearer to you. And then when this happens, then you're going to free me Remember from this me. place. Yes. Um, and then the chief baker says that and he says, oh, no. So then that, that ends. And he says, okay, great. So Yosef knows after he's interpreting the baker's dream 
that he should not say, <laughs> you're, you're going to remember hey, me. remember me when you're on the executioner's block. Just be like, Yosef's down there. Like, literally, it's like, and the birds will eat your flesh, period. And then they're done. <laughs> they're done interpreting the dream. So Yosef doesn't bother. No. He's like, sorry, bub. Um, I underline something in Pasuk Tetvav. While he's reminding Sadam Ashkim, like, remember me when you get out. Tell, tell Pada about me. He writes in Pasuk Tetvav, Ki gunav gunavti me'eret ha'ivrim. I was kidnapped. I was mm-hmm. stolen from my land. I don't know. Would he have used that kind of language if his brothers actually sold him? Because gunav, gunavti means stolen. Yeah. Somebody snatched me up. Or he does believe this is his brother's and he's incensed. And this is like the brothers probably okay, assume. Yeah. And, and okay. then the brothers are right in assuming that he is so mad at them. Like they think that yep. they're gonna, that he's going to kill them. Yeah. Um, but it's a good question. I, I, he no, really does he does really believe that he's been stolen. Yeah. Um and I didn't do anything and they threw me in this pit, Babor. But I think that's also him channeling channeling what happened to him. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. No, he's dealing with his trauma. Yeah. He's, he's like I'm in this rut. And I need you to help me get out of it. And he's saying his story. He's like, this is what happened to me. Maybe you don't understand, like, where I came from. Like, I'm just a random slave or prisoner, but that's not my story. Right. I, I was stolen. I'm not supposed to be here. Um, and then Sara Ofim gives his dream, which is that he has three bra- baskets on his head. And then the top baskets were all of Pado's favorite pastries and mm-hmm. birds are eating from the basket. Um, and then he, Yosef says the three baskets are three days. Uh, in three days, Pado will lift your head off your body. <laughs> will hang you from a stake and the birds will eat your flesh. Crickets. No response. The third day was Pado's birthday. It just <laughs> continues on with the story. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, and so it came to be. <laughs> like whatever he said happened. Uh, it was Pado's birthday. He made a feast for all of his servants, and from among them, he singled out the cupbearer and the baker. He put, he restored the cupbearer and the, but he hung up the chief baker as Yosef had predicted. Um, what I think was interesting is, have we ever heard about birthdays before? Oh, like I felt birthday no. was a very oh, that's so interesting modern. I don't know, not modern, but like modern in the sense of the Torah. What's the Hebrew for chaf for birthday? Yom Huledet, like legit birthday. Yom Huledet Sameach Leparo. Wait, hold on. I want to see if like Pharaoh's birthdays was like a. a it was definitely a, a huge celebration. Holiday? Birthday in ancient. Egypt. Oh, it's, that's so interesting. I didn't even like. I never even noticed that. Like his birthday. I'm like birthday. We've never spoken about anybody's birthday before. I bet you it was like a national holiday. But what's okay. even weirder is that we're still using the word Yom The first definite knowledge about the celebration of birthdays comes down to us from ancient Egypt. This is from a website called Flurop. I don't know what it is. Um. 
However, only the Pharaoh's birthday was celebrated there. Not on the date when he came into the world, but on the day of his coronation. The Egyptian people believed this was the day that the Pharaoh was transformed into a god. And his birth was more important. This birth was more important than the earthly. Oh, so it's not an actual birthday. Right. I guess it's like... A day where a coronation and he turns into a god. Interesting. He made a feast for all of his servants. How nice of him. I know. (laughs) Um, There's one that I really need here. My wine guy. Yeah, but not my baker. Nope. So uh, the cupbearer is remembered and he did not remember Yosef, it seems. The end of uh, Pedic Mem, which is... Uh, 40, is still the chief cupbearer did not remember Yosef. Not only did he not remember him, he forgot him. Yeah, he totally forgot about him. It emphasizes that language. Yeah. Um, So ends episode episode 14. Happy birthday, (laughs) Paro. All right, we'll pick up next week. Uh, We have the beginning of Parashat Miket, beginning in Mem Aleph. We hope you have a wonderful week. Take care. We'll see you then. See you next time. Bye-bye.